I don't know if you guys have heard college is back. Did you know that? So. It used to take about 15 minutes. I live on the far, far other side of town. Some people call it Texas. Um, so I, I live on the other side of town. It usually takes about 15, 18 minutes to get across. Today, you know, at six in the morning, it took me actually like three hours because of all the traffic. It was crazy. And so, uh, and yet I love Stillwater. I abs- I'm not born here. I was not raised here. Um, I had to be taught to do things like this. Okay? But I absolutely love Stillwater. I love this time of year, as Scott was describing earlier. Um, it really is good for us to just kind of get, get in the full swing of it again. This church really has, by I believe God's intention, and then us responding to what God wants, we, we, we try to not, not do what the college wants, not, but we recognize how much of this town actually has, whether it's the schools or the, the college, but uh, the rhythm of this church really much uh, kind of follows along the rhythm of, uh, of of the school year, and so it does feel like January 1st feels like a start of something new. And so we are praying for you, want you to know that you college students those of you maybe that are visiting this morning that are new to Stillwater, um, want you to know that we are praying for you, that you find a place where you can uh, be a part of God's community. Um, obviously, this is one of those places, but that we're not the only church in Stillwater. There are a number of those and really want to challenge you, really want to uh, speak some truth into your life. Uh, our youngest son left a little uh, last week, actually, to go to another town so that when he went to college, and one thing I said to him was make sure you find a good faith community and plug in. Like make sure you plug in. So that's kind of our challenge to you. It might not be here, but just make sure wherever you go, you go that you actually plug in, uh, where you have an opportunity to, to know and to be known, to serve and to be served, uh, to be challenged, um, and a little bit more than just kind of piecemealing your spiritual life, um, to actually be with the same people so that you can hear a consistent diet of who Jesus Christ is um, and his amazing love and purpose for you, um, would act, which actually comes with some, um, like some teeth to it. Like that's one of the things that surprises us, that when you deal with the truth about Jesus, uh, we live in a culture where everything has been so diluted or has been so geared or tailored, made for each of us, that there's very seldom that we actually hear in church truths that are confronting. Like, you know, no, no, I, I know that you might hear things like, you need to be a nicer person, and you need to stop like, looking at bad images on the internet. I mean, you'll hear that stuff. But I'm talking about stuff that would surprise you that's difficult to hear. I'm talking about moving in on those areas of your life where you're thinking, seriously, Jesus has an opinion about that? Like, I, I had no idea that Jesus had more and more and more ideas about what it means to follow him. And I'll tell you, Jesus is far more intrusive than you would know. And a lot of us have lost the ability. Can, can you even smell crazy anymore? Meaning, can you tell that that thing that was just said, just that's crazy. That doesn't even make any sense at all. That doesn't even fit. Can you tell when that happens? I was watching the, the Olympics opening ceremonies, right? And there's the opening ceremonies are beginning. Um, some gentleman speaks a number of different languages, so he's more intelligent than I, stands up and begins to speak about the Olympic spirit. And as I'm watching this, and I'm, I, I love watching the, the opening and, and the closing ceremonies, the, the, the gentleman that is speaking, president of the, uh, of the Olympic Committee, starts talking about the Olympic spirit. And the one thing about the Olympic spirit is that we're all equal here. There's no one better than anybody else. Really? 
Like there's no one better than anybody else. Like everybody walking in is the same. Like the same ability. Like I don't know if you guys have heard of Michael Phelps. Any of you guys heard of Michael Phelps? He doesn't seem to be the same as everybody else. I don't know about you, he just is different, right? Can you, can you tell when, when somebody says something and you're like, I don't know if that fits, I don't know if that's right. Have you lost the ability? Because here's why it matters, is because when it comes to life, you have to have a level of discernment because people are peddling, people are selling a lot of crazy ideas. Crazy ideas like, you can do anything as long as you put your mind to it. Really? In the Olympic spirit, <laughs> how many of you actually believe that you, if you just put your mind to it, could do what Michael Phelps did? I'm just gonna ask you. How many of you go, like even now, like I know that you're 48 like me, um, but if I just put my mind to it, I, listen, Michael Phelps can't do what Michael Phelps did if he put his mind to it. Can, can you tell that as much as what they're trying to say is that you need to believe in yourself and there's a certain value to that, but can you tell when people say stuff like that to you that they mean well, but they don't know what they're really talking about? You know, like when your mom's talking to you the majority of time, right? <laughs> she means well. She's telling you that you're the most beautiful, that you're the smartest. Um, they're, they're, they want you to know, they're trying to, to build you up. <laughs> And they'll tell you anything so that you'll buy it. And the world kicks it out of you. And what's really sad is like we do that to God. And we do that to Jesus, don't we? What can I tell you about Jesus that will make you like him more? And where can I actually go and hear the unfiltered truth about who Jesus Christ is? that's not been diluted, that has not been altered, that has not been adjusted in any way, hairbrushed so that it's all way more attractive to us. Where, where can I go to hear that? And, and truthfully, it's, it's really, it's the Bible. It's the one place I know that I can go and Jesus is going to speak straight to me. Now, now the problem becomes is that my heart, and as we learned just a couple of weeks ago, and I know many of us weren't here a couple of weeks ago, Jeremiah actually teaches that our heart is deceitfully wicked above all things. So even my heart, when I'm reading the words of Jesus Christ, is already trying to figure out a way so that I can change the angle that he's coming at me so that it glances off of me and it doesn't penetrate deep inside of here. The real truth about Jesus Christ that you cannot avoid and that you need to realize, um, for example, people say things like this, Jesus is so big and he's so diverse that he's able to change and adjust according to the specific needs that you have. That sounds kind of brilliant and it's heresy. This is not true. It's not, not who Jesus is. Can you tell? Like, do you know him well enough to tell? Because what's interesting today in Matthew 16, we're in the middle of a series. We didn't start a new book for this particular uh, start of the school year. We've been in Matthew for a while. We'll probably be in Matthew for a, a little while. There's 28 chapters. We're only in Matthew 16. And one of the reasons why we do this as a church is because we want the fullness of Jesus Christ to come to us and, and, and not for our worship team to pick those texts that we think, in our own discernment, are the most relevant. No, no, no. We want all of it. 
Give us Jesus full force. Give us, give us everything he teaches. A couple, a couple number of years ago, we were actually going through John's gospel, and it was back when we believed that a series should only be about 12 weeks because of people's attention span. You know, now that you're looking at Twitter and going, Ugh, 144 characters, I don't know if I can fill all that up, right? So our attention span and our gets shorter and shorter and smaller and smaller, and yet we realize that there's 28 chapters that we need to get through our minds and into our hearts that we need to respond to. So here we are in Matthew 16. But even if I were to take Matthew and reduce it down to five or six lessons, this section from Matthew 16 would be one of those. It's known as the great confession. Peter's great confession of who Jesus Christ is. I want to begin in verse 13 as we look at this unfiltered truth coming from Jesus Christ himself in terms of who he is. Verse 13. Now when Jesus came to the district of Caesarea Philippi. Now you might not know what that is, but it matters. It matters when you say where you are. And particularly in Matthew's gospel, we've seen this a lot. The district of Tyre and Sidon was a Canaanite area, and, and, and Jewish people and the Canaanite people, um, Syrophoenician people, didn't really mix very well. So you need to know that. For Jesus meets this woman begging for him, and the conversation makes no sense unless you realize, wow, they're having an awkward conversation in a very different place. I mean, Jesus looks good to us when he's in the temple, but he's in a number of other places as well. In the Galilee region, it's very Jewish, but it doesn't have that same religious fervor that Jerusalem and Judea have. And here he is in the northern part of Israel in an area known as Caesarea Philippi, which again is a very strong Gentile area. And Jesus is alone with his disciples, and he's asking some very real conversations about who he is, although he's doing it in an indirect way. He asks his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, now this is what's interesting, is that everybody's got an opinion probably of who Jesus is. If they know anything about him, they've got some opinion, I promise you. You, you may not even be a follower of him this morning. We never assume that everyone who walks through these doors is a follower. I want you to know that you are more than welcome here. More than welcome. You don't have to be a follower of Jesus Christ uh, to come into this room and to hear uh, God's un, um, uh, unchangeable truth. But what we're going to do is we're going to look at these words of Jesus Christ and we're gonna let him set the agenda for us. Here's the question, who do people say that the Son of Man actually is? I want to know what you're hearing. Even though he doesn't say about me, he's implying about me. Son of man is not some kind of wonderful title where Jesus is wanting to identify with us because he was, in fact, truly, fully human. So he's got two titles, son of God, representing his divinity, son of man, representing his humanity. Have you heard that? Not true, though. It's just not true. It sounds good. It really sounds good, especially for those of us that want more than anything for Jesus to identify with us. Like we're searching for someone to understand us and appreciate us. And believe me, Jesus does that more than you know. But you don't need to make him small to do so. You don't need to take Jesus and reduce him into a pocket version of him so that you can carry him around and then ta-da, he's there whenever you need him. I would argue don't make Jesus small because when you really, really need him, maybe the Jesus that you've manufactured for your own purposes and portability will fail you in your time of need, the one you've made. The real one, the real big one, who is fully son of God, meaning divine, fully God. 
and son of man, meaning he is the appointed one that God will send at the end of all time to judge, ooh, there's an ugly word in today's culture, to judge the living and the dead. The standard by which God will deal with the world. Son of man is not this warm, endearing term of Jesus' likeness to us. Son of man is a far more um, cataclysmic, apocalyptic figure. And Jesus says, who do people say that the son of man is? And, and they say, we, we've taken a poll, Barna Research says, okay, some news poll says, some say John the Baptist, he, he's dead, but he, he was the guy that came preaching the kingdom of God and you need to change your life. You're living wrong, live right. Others say Elijah, and others say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Basically, the Son of Man is someone a lot like us, Jesus. You um, are going to be, if, if you are the Son of Man, you're going to be like a lot like one of us, only, only better, only stronger, only, only gooder, okay? You're, just, you're, you're like a superhuman. And that's what people are saying. I would call that the filtered truth about Jesus or the filtered truth about the Son of Man. Sadly enough, many of us in this room believe in, actually even worship, a filtered version of who Jesus Christ is. Jesus Christ is someone that you have, and you've gone to church, and so you got enough information, and if you can just um, piece together, if you can just build together kind of the God that you want that will help you in your times of need, Here's how I know. When I say to you, hey, what can I be praying for? And we're going to pray to a very real God. I can tell your understanding of God when you tell me what you want me to pray for. Well, will you pray that I get good grades? And will you, will you pray that I don't get sick? And will you pray that the, the money would come in? Oh, okay, so you've got the Santa Claus God going on. And, and hear me. God is incredibly generous. I mean, God is more giving and kind and gracious than, than we could ever imagine. So anything else to pray about? No? Okay. Anything else that you want me to pray for? And we can tell a lot about the understanding that we have about who God is by our prayers. What we ask for. And the same thing in this day. They had a version of, of what, how God was going to fix the world and it was smaller than what God was going to do. God is going to send another, you know what we need? We need another prophet. You know what we need? We need another, we, we need somebody who can rise up and make a difference. And I love this time of year, I really do. I love this time of year um, and, and this on the every fourth year kind of time of year where I meet a lot of really anxious people. You know what we need? We just need a good candidate. You know what we need? What we really need is someone who, what we, you know what we really need? And, I, and I, I love to point out, um, we, we, we all still are really looking for some human version to fix us. And I think that's one of the reasons why it is so easy for you and I to reduce Jesus into a human, although better, although stronger and gooder than us, but he is still stuck in that realm of humanity. He is just another prophet, even when you hear people talk about Jesus. You've got Muhammad, and he is the leader of. You've got Buddha, and he is the leader of. You've got someone, they're the leader. And then you've got Jesus, and he is like the leader of. Jesus is the founder of. 
wow, you have no idea how much Jesus really founded, like the heavens and the earth. It's not the same thing. See, the, the feel, here's how you know, here's how you can smell something that is just wrong, is when a version of Jesus that you hear about described, prophet, political revolutionary, real compassionate, caring, hallmark sending, kind person, whatever one-dimensional or even five-dimensional version you have of Jesus, when it doesn't deal with the fullness of who he is, when it seems to exclude, especially those things that bother you, what you really know is you have another filtered version of him. And I promise you this, even in your earthly moments where you need him, a filtered version of Jesus will fail you. A, fir, a, a filtered version of Jesus will disappoint you. He will not fully satisfy you. I guarantee you in a room of this size, there are a lot of you that are, I mean, Jesus is okay, you know? I mean, I, I get, I mean, I get the, and there are a lot that are even wondering about Christianity and about following him and because and, and, something is still missing, right? There's still something missing. And I'm saying it's most, I would argue, it is most likely caused by the fact that you have um, an altered, an, a filtered version of who Jesus Christ is or God's plan, ultimate design for your life. So he moves on to the truth so then he says to him, okay, so that's what people are saying the Son of Man is. He said to them, but what about you? Who do you say that I am? Notice the switch, Son of Man to I. Peter makes the jump. Peter, Simon Peter replies, you are the Christ. Again, that's not his last name. Hi, my name's Jesus Christ. This is my mother Mary Christ, my brother James Christ. And oddly enough, his other brother, he really did have a brother named Judas, but his last name was not Christ. Christ is not a last, it's not a name, it's a title. That's why it's, it's, if we were to describe Mary, it would be Mary, mother of Jesus, who was the Christ. James, brother of Jesus, who was the Christ, okay? So it, it's just it's so easy for it to just roll off of our mouth, Jesus Christ, that we fail to realize that what we're, what we're saying is Jesus the Messiah, Jesus the promised one, Jesus the son of man, Jesus the one that God has appointed to end all things, fulfill all things, bring all things together. We saying that Jesus changes everything, he really does. He really does change everything. I don't know if he's changed everything in you, but in terms of the universe and in, in terms of humanity and in terms of our relationship with God, Jesus has fundamentally changed everything. Jesus, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon bar Jonah. Bar, it would just be like a Hebrew way of saying son. Simon, son of Jonah, Simon bar Jonah. For flesh and blood, meaning humanity, uh, this isn't five guys in a coffee shop thinking who Jesus Christ is. This isn't just a bunch of scholars who are writing a paper. I'm doing a PhD on God's plan in the world and I've been doing some experiments and I've been looking at some trees and some mountains and some fish in the ocean and I've got all of this together and I found out who Jesus is. I now know God's plan. This is not something, Scott said this in his communion time, do you, do you realize how much what we know about who Jesus Christ is, what we know about God's plan is gift? It's gift. I know a lot of Christians who, who think that they're believers, 
who think that they're here because they've got it figured out. I've got it figured out. I'm really grateful that I got it figured out. I now know the meaning of life. I figured it out. I did all the math. I added it up. I'm really, really smart. I'm really, really good. I'm really, really moral. I've got this great family that led me here. And Jesus makes it clear that that's not how you figured it out. That's not how you figure me out. It's not how you know the way of God. The way of God is not discernible by human reasoning. It needs an interruption, it needs an interjection. It needs God ripping apart humanity and imposing himself upon his creation. In the creation of the world, for without him, nothing was made. And in sending Jesus, for without him, no one would find peace with the creator. It's why we go back over and over and over, these four things on the very bottom, recognizing what we call um, the meta-narrative, the overall arching story of God, that God made the world, that we rebelled against him, but he did not give up, and he has redeemed the world through Jesus Christ, and now we are in the joy of redemption and restoration, and all of this is God's plan, and how do we know? Because God loved us so much, he not only sent his son to us, but he helped us understand who his son was. I'm not asking you to be, be smart. That even when I say, come, and the Bible describes this, come, let us reason together. Sure, there is a reasoning process. Thinking has value. But there are aspects of our lives and there are aspects of this journey that are far more like a love affair, far more like a moving of the heart, far more of a, I don't understand, there is a mystery in all of this that still rides under and through God's providential care and plan. And Jesus says to Peter, you are truly blessed because you didn't figure this out on your own. Flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my father, this loving father, this good, good father, this I did not love, I, I did not love myself so much in such a negative way that I withheld and I just gave you wrath. But God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him would find eternal life. This is the father that Jesus Christ is referring to and God gave us revelation about who Jesus Christ is. I mean, it's so often in the midst of it that I fail to realize so why are you a believer? And I, well, you know, my, my parents actually are first generation believers. Like my grandparents didn't know who Christ is. Just a couple of weeks ago, one of my aunts who passed away never knew who Jesus Christ was. Um, my parents did though, and so they taught me and that's why I'm a Christian. I, I think Jesus would say, well, listen, your parents helped. <laughs> your parents really did help. Um, but you do know that that was me. I think sometimes we forget that. There are a lot of parents right now in this room. There are a lot of praying. There are a lot of parents praying for a lot of young people in this room. That somehow their influence, that there would somehow be the deciding factor in the choices that you're going to make that will send you in a direction for eternity. And listen, I, I like the parent thing. I get it. I just have looked into the eyes of my children and realized, wow, there's a lot that I don't have control over. But God does. I don't understand how it works. I'm not here to explain it to you. I'm here to just read it. But my Father who is in heaven has revealed this to you, Peter, and I tell you that you are Peter. 
name meaning rock. It makes more sense when you're reading it in the original language. I tell you that you are Peter, that you are rock. And on this rock, Caesarea Philippi is a very uh, rocky area, literally huge areas where there's just open face mountains with just rock there. So they're in this very interesting place. He's talking to Peter with a very interesting name. You are Peter, and on this rock, I believe what he's, what he's describing there is on this truth about what you said of me, I will build my church. This is the first time the word church is used in any of the gospels. I will build my people. I will build my, literally the word ecclesia means the called out ones. The ones who are called out from the rest of society because of me and who I am. Because I am the Messiah. We are Messiah followers. We are Jesus followers. We are disciples of Jesus. And not a generic Jesus. Not a Jesus that you and I want to to make so that we can follow him and be satisfied with our own. Short-lived desires, constantly changing wants. But with a rock, with a truth that is eternal. And on this truth about who I am, I will build my church and the gates of hell. I, I still think the best translation of that word is Hades. It, it's, it's really not hell, the place where God is prepared for those who choose to just want nothing to do with Him. But Hades, death. The thing that just makes, um, makes, I guess in this sense, we're all equal. We will all die. Every single one of us will die. We'll all be the same. We all end up in similar looking boxes at the end of our lives. There is a, a leveling of the playing field. We may do different success rates. We may have different enjoyments of life rates. But the truth is, in the end, we all end up at the same spot. And Jesus says, and by the way, that thing which stops all of you does not stop me. The thing that stops everything else will not stop me and will not stop my people and the gates of death will not prevail against it. And I will give you, Peter, the keys to the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Literally saying is, Peter, I'm going to give you and the rest of these disciples who will be my apostles that I will send out into the world. I will give you what you need to accomplish the the purpose of proclaiming who I am. Like that's why what we're doing here is not, hey, let's gather together and try to be better people. Let's try to be a good influence on society. Listen, I, I really do want to be a good influence on society. I, I want, actually, my life to, in part, small as it is, to change the world, to make it a better place. But can I explain better first? Because I'm not talking better where it, it's still man-made. It's still about flesh and blood. I'm talking about a better that has God at the center. I'm talking a better that lives long after the box is put in the ground. I'm talking a better where a lot of people in society, they don't like it. They're they're so interested in making a God and a life fashioned for themselves. I'm I'm not talking that kind of better. I'm not talking about a better version of you. I'm talking about like a redeemed version of you. A redeemed version of me, not just a better. The world doesn't need a better version of Jim Johnson. The world needs a saved version, a being transformed into the image of Jesus version. Now that would make, if that's what you mean by better, I I, I get it. 
We really do need to change the world and to make it a better for the glory of God. Better for our own divinely designed and appointed purposes. Better in the sense that I really know what true joy is. I remember thinking that these things were filled with joy, but looking back, that was more of a flesh and blood dynamic. Um, What I'm really beginning to understand, and it's not because I'm getting older, it's because I'm becoming more like Jesus. And I have a different understanding and a, a different appreciation for what better really is. It only comes to an unfiltered version of Jesus. And that's the truth about who he is. And then he says in verse 20, this is strange, and then he strictly charged his disciples, tell no one that he was the Christ. Don't tell anyone that I'm the Messiah. Which is kind of strange. What do you mean tell no one? I thought, I thought we were out to change the world. What you and I want to do is, I wonder if we could change the world by tomorrow. You think we could change it by tomorrow? I had a, I was speaking for a, a youth ministry in, um, in Indiana one time, and the youth pastor literally had for his high school seniors, I want you guys to think about the kind of legacy that you can leave in your high school that will live at least 100 years. I just kind of thought, I thought to myself, yeah, I doubt if they could do that. Again, we want these, let's see how we can. We we love to talk about it. We love to pretend that it's going to be instead of trusting God with the working out of that. Right? I know a lot of people that are trying to build for themselves a legacy. I know a lot of churches that are trying to build for themselves a legacy instead of working on, I'm going to be faithful. It's interesting that Jesus says to these disciples, like, I know I'm the Messiah. (laughs) You know I'm the Messiah. For now, let's just keep it between us. Jesus has a different understanding of time and his purpose than you and I have. Jesus actually says, this is a good lesson in life. Jesus says more often than you and I would ever admit, wait, wait. Because I'm in control of this. You just said that I'm the Messiah, that I need you to remember that I am in control of this. I've got something. There's something that is about to happen. You running around and telling everybody that I'm the Messiah before they fully understand what the Messiah means is only going to cause problems, is only going to cause confusion. And so I just need to us to, to just, I'm going to explain to you what Messiah means, but let's just hold off for a moment. And you can see why is because the truth about Jesus is very difficult to accept. And so notice what happens in verse 21. So from this time, Jesus began to show his disciples, demonstrate, um, reveal to his disciples. Jesus began to show them that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer. Okay, that's not what I expected. That's definitely not what Peter and the rest of the disciples expected. No, no, no. You don't suffer if you're the Messiah. You are victorious. You, you, You demonstrate your power and authority. Jesus says, this is one of the reasons why he wanted them to keep it quiet, I'm going to go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes, the religious leaders, the ones that everybody else is looking to, they're going to reject me is what Jesus is saying. And be killed. Suffer, rejection, death. Woo! That's that's a downer. Boy, that took, a, that took a strange turn. Like I know, see, we all, we hear that and it's just like, yeah. 
But you do realize you're the Messiah. Yes, God has come. Victory for the people. Finally getting rid of suffering. Getting rid of, and Jesus is going, and this is what my road looks like. Suffering, rejection, death. And on the third day be raised, and Peter took him aside because Peter knew better than Jesus. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, far be it from you, Lord. It's weird that he's rebuking him and calling him Lord at the same time. Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. This will not happen. And look at what Jesus says. But he turned to Peter and said to him, get behind me, Satan. I really think that the last time that Jesus had an encounter in which there was a possibility of him being the Messiah but not having a death was a a, a time when Jesus was being tempted by the devil. And you remember what the devil said to him? You remember what Satan said to him? Throw yourself off of here and I'll give you the kingdoms of the world. Yeah, the truth is, Jesus isn't just kind of, Peter, you're being a bad boy. Wait a second, I've heard this before, Peter. Oh yeah, I remember. Satan was the one that told me that. And now you're acting a lot like him. Did you realize that a crossless, not suffering, not being rejected, not dying version of Jesus was Satan's plan? It just wasn't God's. And Jesus begins to separate. Since flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my father did. Now, Peter, interestingly enough, you're acting, you're acting human again. You got it right. You know who I am, Messiah. You got it wrong. This is why I didn't want you to tell anybody. You're proving my point, Peter. This is why I want you to hold off, because you would never have figured out that the Messiah must be rejected and suffer and die. I've really loved the last couple of times I've had an opportunity to travel to Israel. I've really loved getting to know a number of people who live in Israel who do not share my love and obedience to Jesus. We become friends. Now, don't tell them, but it's because I'm trying to win them to Jesus. And I love to ask them, so why don't you believe in Jesus? And you, you know the big thing that just is a, is a, is a difficult uh, mountain for them to climb on this issue? Is I just can't, I can't get it in my head that God would send the Messiah to save the nation of Israel and then they would reject him. Like that just makes no sense to me. So the number one reason why they reject Jesus is because of the reason why Jesus came. And they'll tell you that. And I I used to, that makes no sense. But now I'm going, that makes a little bit of sense actually. Can I just tell you, that doesn't sound crazy to me. That, That actually, using human logic, that does make sense. Why would God send his son to a people that would reject him? That makes no sense to me. But it's the kind of God we have. Actually, when I go back and I look in the Bible, it's the kind of God that made the world. And then the only two people that were in it at the time rebelled against him, and he was gracious to them. It it, it sounds like a time when everyone was wicked, and God, through Noah and a boat, saved humanity. 
It reminds me of many, many countless years. I know God can look vengeful and spiteful to you, but if you could just add up the years that God put up with human rebellion and sin and wickedness against not just him, but even against one another, the atrocities that happen in this world that you and I read about but really don't experience, like those atrocities that happen, There are ways of God, purposes of him that only make sense when he reveals himself to us. He says, Peter, get behind me. You're going to be a hindrance to me. And he says it this way, for you are not setting your mind on things of God, but on the things of men. When earlier he said, men did not reveal this, but God, now he's going, Peter, you're reverting back. There are certain truths that are just difficult to accept about who Jesus Christ is. And so Jesus Christ continues, and then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me for whoever would save his life. And that's what you and I are trying to do, you know. You and I are trying through many different purposes, through many different avenues, we're trying to save our, okay, no, save might not be the word I wanna use. But the word in the Greek literally means like to rescue or to make whole. How many of you are trying to make your life whole? How many of you are, are working and, and trying to work relationally and economically? Uh, you're trying to work even maybe spiritually. You're trying to piece together a life that is fragmented and broken. Many of us for the very first time. How many of you are freshmen? Raise your hand if you're a freshman at OSU, okay? So fresh out of your parents' confines, and now all of a sudden you have an opportunity to embrace this new life, and what are you trying to do? You're trying to save it. Find meaning and purpose. Create your own meaning and purpose. And Jesus Christ right here actually says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross first. Whoever would save his life will lose it. Like if you try to save your life, like you try to save your life, you will lose it. You'll, you'll, you'll try to fill it. You'll try to, um, you'll try to ignore the problems in life. You'll do everything that you can and it increasingly becomes like not a lot of purpose and meaning to it. I mean, I am, I've been fascinated maybe because two of my boys swam in high school but we've been watching all the swimming. My, my, my family were big fans of Michael Phelps. I remember watching an interview with him recently with Joe Buck and in that interview, this best swimmer in the history of the world, the one that, that so many of us kind of look at and go, wow, now that guy has it. And he talks about a time right after the London Olympics where he just, he didn't want to go on with his life. His life had no meaning or purpose. You're Michael Phelps. Can't you swim meaning and purpose into your life? Can't you butterfly your way? Can't you, you can't, like, but Michael, you have 55, you're worth $55 million. You're famous. You're what all of us want to be, Michael. What is wrong with you? Yeah, I no longer look at people who have money and fame, apparent temporary purposes that seem to be as fleeting as the singing of a national anthem and go, now they have a life. Because the Bible actually says, like, without Jesus, we all end up in our rooms not really wanting to talk to anybody, wondering if it makes any sense to go on. That was Michael Phelps a few years ago. 
Interesting. You think you're gonna be any different? As you try to save your life, as you try to create meaning and purpose for your life by, I just gotta find the right person, I just gotta find the right kids, I just gotta find the right job. (laughs) Come talk to me when you're 50. And you're asking a whole different set of questions. And the good news is Jesus says it right here. But whoever loses his life, whoever gives up his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world, 24 Olympic medals, whatever it is, 23 Olympic medals, if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul, or what should a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man, he says, is going to come with angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what they have done. Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. The truth about Jesus is difficult to accept. And the truth about Jesus, let me just tell you this, is difficult to follow. It's difficult to follow. Morgan said, hey, here's this young lady. And there was another one in first service. Here's this young lady. And we need to make sure that we're there to hold her accountable. Because there's no way. And adding a few more years isn't going to change it. There's no way they can fully understand all that God has in store for them. And that's okay. Let me just tell you, that's okay. It's okay that you don't fully understand who Jesus Christ is. I don't either. I, I, do not, I don't fully understand all of who Jesus Christ is. I'm only 48. I've only been preaching the gospel now for over 20 years. How would I know everything about Jesus? I got the rest of my life. To, I have the rest of literally my life on both this side and on the other side of the box to understand who Jesus Christ is. Is that not amazing? And I get more and more opportunities not to say, hey, I figured it out, but did you know that? Do you know what Jesus is? Do you understand who Jesus is? Do you know the fullness of who Jesus is? And again, I'm telling you, there are many in this room that are walking that line of, um, of religiosity, not following Jesus who are walking that line of, yeah, Jesus really isn't doing it for me, and I'm telling you, you need to, I love to ask people, describe for me this Jesus who's just not doing it for you anymore. And by the time they're done talking, I love going, yeah, I get why you're leaving him. Sounds like a loser. Sounds like a real small version of the real person. Like, he's real. And I get why you're giving up on him. Now, by the way, can I tell you about the real Jesus? Do you think you know him fully? No. (laughs) I don't know him fully. But there's a lot of good information to hear about him. There is the continued revealing of him. It's amazing how when we look at the fullness of who God is in Jesus Christ, you and I experience God's ultimate plan for us. And I pray that whatever life stage you find yourself at, whatever um, situation you find yourself at, you understand and appreciate the fact that Jesus came not just to make your life better, but to redeem your life. Not just to give you an additional purpose, but to give you like a mission and a purpose that makes every other mission and purpose of your life make sense. He will bring integration. He will bring a greater and deeper purpose for your life that will ride out any temporary joy 
or defeat. That's who the real Jesus is. Let's pray. So God, I thank you for revealing him to us, for sending him to us. God, I thank you for the fact that we are here to speak about him and we will always do so in part. That there is no end. John didn't write down every story. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John together did not write down every story. And I pray that we would truly um, spend the time necessary to, to, to investigate and to appreciate and to understand and to follow this man, Jesus of Nazareth, this God, Jesus of Nazareth. God, I thank you for the fullness of who he is, and I pray that, um, that we go from here, that we leave here in light of the fullness of who he is. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Before you get up and leave, I just want to remind you that we do this regularly. We don't have your typical altar call where we sing a song over and over and over again, and we're kind of really trying to get you to come this way. But that doesn't mean that our hearts or that our intention does not desire that. If the Holy Spirit is working in your heart, if you in some way want to talk more about this Jesus who came to die and to bring peace for you with God, then instead of walking that way, you can walk this way. And there are a number of people who would love to continue this faith conversation. If your Jesus that you've manufactured is too small for the struggles and the difficulties in your life, then I pray this morning would be the start of a whole new journey where you can experience the real Jesus Messiah. Love you guys, God bless, and we will see you next Sunday.